Hey guys, thank you for tuning in to another episode of <clears throat> Bold Expressions. Um, today I want to start, I don't want to say series because it sounds presumptuous, but um, be the first of a couple of episodes I want to talk about uh, Dr. King. Um, uh, I want to talk about Dr. King and then... And in doing so, try to separate from what we learn, from what we're taught about Dr. King to who he actually was to the, as I call, whitewashing of Dr. King to where, you know, his more radical views are pulled back. Um, uh, I went to elementary school in the 90s. And from all, the only thing we learned about Dr. King was that the I have a dream speech. Um, um, you know, we, we learned that um, it, it even took a while. For, was it? I, I think he graduated from high school. Not graduated from high school. He went to college like when he was 15. You know, he, he was very bright. He was very, very educated. But the only thing we're really taught about him is I have a dream. He was nonviolent. Um, the whole thing of, you know, turn the other cheek and, you know, bus riots and whatnot. But, you know, he's a preacher. You know, not much else. And it's one of those things to where like a lot of things with quote unquote black history um, is the thing to where black the history of black people in America is for some reason separated from just American history it's not just black history it is American history we are American citizens and it feels like almost as if, you know, we have to pull teeth to, you know, get our stories actually out there. Um, you know, you learn about Dr. King, um, uh, Rosa Parks, um, a little bit about Malcolm X, uh, George Washington Carver, uh, Harriet Tubman, and even then is only, you know, what they teach you is only enough to go on the back of an index card. Um, I would argue that some white people, and not all, because even Dr. King was quick to point out that it's not all white people, um, because there were many that he worked with, there was many that supported the movement, but many of them, even those who are not openly racist, have trouble dealing with things that happen to black people and they are it's easier for them to accept that yes this, yes this happened and it's no longer happening than it is to um to accept that things are still happening that yes things have gotten some things have gotten better but it's not where it should be and that somehow us pointing things out means something against them. 
and it's one of those phrases that I've heard recently, uh, <clears throat> a dog will holler. It's like if we're talking about <clears throat> inequalities um, for black people and different things, and you truly have nothing to do with that, then why are you being so offended that we're talking about it? But let me not, let me not get too far off the subject. Um, well, it's not really getting far off the subject because it's talking about Dr. King. Um, let me just double check to make sure I, I have everything. <clears throat> well, not have everything right. But um, Dr. King was born January 15th, 1924. Uh, he was killed April 4th, 1967. He was awarded many. Uh, he was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom and a Congressional Gold Medal. Um, there were many things, um, um, oh no, I'm sorry. Okay, yeah, I was right. I'm sorry. Um, he did skip. He skipped both ninth, the ninth and the twelfth grade in high school. Um, at the age of fifteen, King passed exam and entered Morehouse College. He played football there. Um, um, he graduated from Morehouse. 1948, the age of 19, with a BA in sociology. Um, he graduated from the Crozer Theological Seminary in Chester, Pennsylvania, um, in 1950. Yeah, 1951. Um, he he was a guy who. I'm gonna put this. Well, let me start off with some of the things that, like, I, like I've already said, people have their thoughts about Dr. King, about what he, what he did, who, you know, who he was, and how he would think about things that are going on now. Um, like one of the things I didn't know was that he opposed the Vietnam War, um, and it was something that he didn't. He spoke about it privately, but he didn't really put it in speeches because he was afraid of the um, the backlash. Um, he wanted to avoid interference with civil rights goals. Um, as um, pertaining to, um, I think it was Johnson. who was the president at the time uh, speaking out against that. And, you know, he didn't, he didn't, you know, I think he was, yeah, I think it was Johnson that he, he had problems with him. Johnson and Edgar Hoover, who was uh, head of the FBI at the time. But, um, let me see. He connected the war with economic injustice. Um, he argued that the country needs serious moral change. He said a true revolution of values will soon look uneasily 
on the, on the glaring contrast of poverty and wealth. With righteous indignation, it will look across the seas and see individual capitalists of the West investing huge sums of money in Asia, Africa, and South America, only to take the profits out with no concern for the social betterment of the countries and say this is not just. Um, he talked about the American government being the greatest purveyor of violence in the world today. Um, he talked about how America was spending money um, fighting in Vietnam where they could have taken that money and the resources and spent it on social welfare at home. Um, they were spending more money on the military and less on anti-poverty programs. Um, he said, a nation that continues year after year to spend more money on military defense than on programs of social un uplift is approaching spiritual death. He said, uh, North Vietnam did not begin to send in any large number of supplies or men until American forces had arrived in tens of thousands. Um, you know, he and it's funny because the same people and, and it's one of those things where people ask, like, when would you guys be satisfied and about how things have changed and how things have gotten better for black and brown people but then you hear stuff that people like Dr. King spoke on and it's the same thing that we're having now you know just the fact uh, was talk with somebody because they their thing was the Democrats hate the the military because they you know because of the funding and it's a thing of like no it's, they don't hate the military it's like if like if that's your if that's what you got out of it, that they hate the military because they want them, they don't want to keep spending more money on them. They're already spending more money on anything else. Then every then Congress, the government must hates poor people because they keep cutting stuff that should go to things that will help people. And it's not a thing of that government can fix everything. But the things that it can help in, they rather spend it. They rather spend more money on trying to kill people than trying to help people and educate people. Um, they talked about uh, one one big scary catchphrase today is socialism. Um, uh, King was linked to um, communism. Um, someone he talked to, but he didn't believe in that either. He spoke of democratic socialism. Um, in a letter to his wife, he said, I imagine you already know that I am much more socialistic in my economic theory than capitalists. In one speech, he stated that there's something is wrong with capitalism and claimed there must be a better distribution of wealth and maybe America must move toward a democratic socialist socialism. Um, 
it's, I don't know, it's, it's a lot of different things that, that he talked about that he believed in, um, that people um, like to, like to gloss over. Um, he thought that um, there should be a reconstruction of of society in order to better benefit people. Um, he before he was murdered, he was going to set up something called the Poor People's Campaign, which would. Um, I'm sorry, lost my notes. Uh, the Poor People's Campaign, um, and it was basically. Uh, as it was said, an army of multiracial poor people. Um, he believed is even now that blacks and poor whites had a lot more in common than they did not. And that the government, the, the, the Congress, they, our society shows hostility towards poor, people who are poor. They have this thing of put yourself up by your bootstraps, which is something that I'll talk on later. And the whole myth of doing that, and they, they talk about put yourself up for your bootstraps, but yet, you know, they keep cutting your straps. Or, you know, even worse yet, they make it so that you don't have the money to to afford boots in the first place. Um, he believed in a that there should be a guaranteed pay amount. That what we're getting paid to work jobs is not sufficient enough to um to to live a sustainable life. Um, His vision for change was more revolutionary than mere reform. He cited systematic flaws of racism, poverty, militarism, and materialism, and argued that reconstruction of society itself is the real issue in this face. Um, even some people that he worked with, um, some liberals within the civil rights movement, they didn't really <clears throat> agree with it because they said that it was too broad um, and the demands were unrealistic. Um, I don't know. I I think it's one of those things like climate change is something that is so like the wage gap and different things is so broad and, and things that, yeah, maybe you do have to go um, more unrealistic or go crazy with some things. I'll, I'll put it like this. There is... I don't want to take away from something else, but I'll, I'll allude to this. The Republicans that we look at now are different from Republicans like from a few years ago because they have gone so far to the right. The people who used to be on the left are now actually more center or a little bit kind of to the right because they've gone so crazy that they want to meet them halfway. So they have to come a little bit closer to that insanity to where stuff that's like common sense is now the compromise. And 
I, I think that's what we have to do for some of the, for some of the um, demands or some of the things the king was suggesting. That we have to go so far out that even just to compromise would be doing so much more than what we're doing now. Um, they talked about, um, you know, nonviolence and whatnot. Dr. King owned guns. He, you know, he didn't use, but he, he believed in self-defense. Um, he, he did um, really look up to Gandhi and, and his practice and everything. He was not, um, he, he did discourage self-defense as a widespread practice, but he knew that sometimes it was necessary. Um, there's a quote, I don't know where I got this from, but uh, I like the movies, like uh, maybe from a show. I'm not even going to say it because it was stupid once I realized where it's from. But uh, I think sometimes words alone won't reach some people. But um, it was that. Um, oh, and another thing right now that's really big is um, reparations. Um, and people talk about, you know, oh, black people, they want to take money from people and different things. Um, Dr. King stated that black Americans, as well as other disadvantaged Americans, should be compensated for historical wrongs. In an interview, interview, interview conducted for Playboy, that's funny, in 1965, he said that granting blacks only equality could not realistically close the gap between them and whites. King said that he did not seek a full restitution of wages lost to slavery, which he believed impossible, but proposed a government compensatory program of $50 billion over 10 years to all disadvantaged groups. He poised that money spent would be more, would be more than amply justified by the benefits that would occur to the nation through a spectacular decline in school dropouts, family breakups, crime rates, illegitimacy, swollen relief roles, rioting, and other social evils. He presented this idea as an application of the common law regarding settlement of unpaid labor. He clarified that he felt that the money should not be spent exclusively on blacks. He stated it should benefit all races. Um, now, um, there's that. Um, I also forgot that as far as the bootstraps thing, there was a speech that started to put up, I think a day uh, earlier this year, a day after his death or the anniversary of his death. Um, him speaking about how the government spent money to give land um, affordable housing. They sent government workers to Farmers to help. They gave them the land to farm. They spent the money to teach them how to farm. They gave them money, um, or they gave them um, the the necessary means to afford the housing. You know that they were staying on, so they can profit from it. And they gave all these other things. And it's funny how now those people are the ones. Telling us, like like I said before, to pull us up about the bootstraps. There are also the people now who are being 
compensated because of Trump's bad tariffs that are messing up, you know, the American farming business. He's paying them back. And it's funny, you know, who America decides to repay and and why. But um, I want to read um, something else from, from King. I think it's funny. Um, this was, he was awarded the Planned Parenthood Federation of America's Margaret Sanker Award. This was May 5th, 1966. He said, recently the press has been filled with reports of sightings of flying saucers. While we need not give credence to these stories, they allow our imagination to speculate how visitors from outer space would judge us. I am afraid they will be stupefied at our conduct. They would observe that for death planning, we spend billions to create engines and strategies for war. They would also observe that we spend millions to prevent death by disease and other causes. Finally, they would observe that we spend paltry sums for pollution for population planning, even though its spontaneous spontaneous growth is an urgent threat to life on our planet. Our visitors from outer space could be forgiven if they reported home that our planet is inhabited by a race of insane men whose future is bleak and uncertain. There is no human circumstance more tragic than the persisting existence of a harmful condition for which a remedy is readily available. Family planning to relate population to world resources is possible, practical, and necessary. Unlike the plagues, sorry, unlike the plagues of the dark ages or contemporary diseases we do not yet understand, the modern population, sorry, the modern plague of overpopulation is soluble by means we have discovered and with resources we possess. What is lacking is not sufficient knowledge of the situation, but universal consciousness of the gravity of the problem and education of the billions who are its victims. Basically, as I said before, we spend more trying to kill people than we are bringing people up. We have the money. There, there are kids in the, supposedly the greatest country in the world who um, who um, who their only meal for the day may be when they go to eat lunch at school. There are people, you know, who supposedly in the greatest country in the world are right below or, you know, right at the poverty, poverty line and not for lack of them trying it's just, as I said before, the jobs that we have don't pay a sufficient enough um, wage for people to live off of. And, you know, you could work two, three jobs and, you know, barely get by. And, you know, and then it's all about, like I said, what's what's in neighborhoods. You have certain neighborhoods um I may have heard this phrase food deserts to where there will be um, there'll be some fast food places there'll be you know these little shops where they have little convenience stores they have the 
greasy food, whatever. But there's nowhere for people to buy fresh food. Um, I'm thankful to seeing a lot of more save a lots around places where you can go in and buy food that's not that hasn't been processed, where you can buy real food. Um, and I listened to someone talk about how we're so accustomed to fake food that we call real food rabbit food. That we've gone, I, and I joked with a, a coworker of mine before. That her she's so she's so used to fake stuff that her body rejects stuff like water, you know. And we have the funds, we have the means to fix this, but if we did it, it would be people would people would say like, oh well, you know, welfare state. It's like well, people wouldn't be on welfare. We it wouldn't be an issue for welfare if we actually spent the money and resources on things to help people so that they don't, they don't have to be on welfare. If they got paid enough money, they wouldn't have to be on welfare. And once again, there are those who, yes, who, who abuse it. And, you know, the funny thing is there's more white people on welfare than black people, but they, you know, the people who criticize it forget that. But, you know, no matter what race you are, you know, people need help. And like I said, we we rather spend money on stuff, you know, as you said, engines of war than social reform. Um, lastly, I want to speak a little on his, as, as you said, the the thing about the I have a dream speech, um, this is Marshall Washington, is six pages, six pages. But um, the only thing we, only thing we're taught is I have a dream. And that starts at the bottom of page four. I have a dream. I have a dream is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise and live up to the true meaning of his creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they are judged by the con where they will not be judged by the con by the color of their skin or by the content of the character. Free last, free last, got no money, free last. There's, there's the, the parts of the speech that we learn are chopped up. What I just read was from three different parts, from three different pages of the speech. But that is the only thing that, um, that they, that they tell us. Um, where was the part I want to go? Okay. Again and again, we must rise to the majestic heights of meeting physical force with soul force. The marvelous new malignancy that has engulfed the Negro community must not lead us to distrust all white people. For many of our white brothers, as evidenced by their presence here today, 
have come to realize that their destiny is tied up with our destiny. They have come to realize that their freedom is in trick is in extrinsically bound to our freedom. We cannot walk alone. And as we walk, we must make the pledge that we shall always march ahead. We cannot turn back. There are those who are asking the devotees of civil rights, when will you be satisfied? We can never be satisfied as long as the Negro is the victim of unspeakable horrors of police brutality. We can never be satisfied as long as our bodies, heavy with the fatigue of travel, cannot gain lodging in the motels of the highways and the hotels of the city. We cannot be satisfied as long as the Negro's basic mobility is from a smaller ghetto to a larger one. We can never be satisfied as long as our children are stripped of their adulthood and robbed of their dignity by signs stating for whites only. We cannot be satisfied as long as the Negro in Mississippi cannot vote and the Negro in New York believes he has nothing for which to vote. No, no, no. We are not satisfied and we would not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. And that just goes to speak on some of the things, once again, that how many of the things that he spoke on are things that are still happening? How many things how many things can you still relate to today? So it's like how many things are are still there? I heard um this woman Laura Ingram, she's one of the people who like to pimp Dr. King yet ignore so many things that he talked about. Um when um Reverend Al Sharpton talked about it's like, okay, we're in post-Obama. We need to see, is there any substance and not just symbolism stating that, yes, we've had a black president, but where do we go from here? That, you know, and she she took it as, oh, it's pretty dismissive of Obama. You know, she's like, I wonder what Dr. King would have to say. Right there, you would see in his arguably most famous speech that that is not that's not enough to be satisfied. As long as there, even after he was elected, there was still Trayvon Martin. There was still many black people that were you know victims of police brutality. Trayvon Martin, dude who shot him wasn't even a cop. He's up here selling his trying to sell his gun. Like hey, it's a gun to kill Trayvon Martin, and it's like you know things. And she talked about black people have been able, you know, oh, we've, we were able to rise to the highest, you know, the highest uh, ranks of entertainment, like basketball. She said more things about us entertaining people than by us being, you know, doing other things. And it's the thing is, as Dr. King said, we cannot be satisfied. We're we're not satisfied. We don't come to replace you. We come to stand with you. And that's the thing they they constantly look past every time they justify a blatant act of police violence against us. Every time they 
tell us to shut up and dribble every time they'd be like, well, you guys already have this. What more do you want? We, we don't want your, we want what you have. Sorry. We don't want what you have, but we want the right to be, we want at least the opportunity to get it. We don't want to take your, your stuff. We want the chance to get our own stuff without you burning down like black wall street. We want to, we want to, you know, continue to, to make the, the, the progress forward. And, and I understand why, because they're, they're so used to seeing things from their perspective, their point of view, they're so used to being treated. Some of them are so used to be treated better that they don't, that anytime that others are approaching that, they're like, you know, what's, what more do you want? Some people I believe are genuinely ignorant because they, they don't see it. They are under the impression that, you know, oh, there's, you know, there's, you know, there's, there's actually inequality, like the whole opioid thing. When people are smoking crack, oh, they're criminals. They're doing this, you know, oh, white people getting high off of opioids or, you know, medicine from the doctor and all this other stuff. Oh, they need help. Black people go to jail. Oh, they're, you know, they commit crime. Oh, they are, they're just criminal. They're just bad. They did all this because they, you know, they are morally, you know, bankrupt. Um, people shoot up churches, schools, and whatnot. They have mental issues. And it's like, we can't be satisfied until, until you know, all these things are settled. And as he said, um, is that we cannot be satisfied as long as the Negro's basic mobility is from a smaller ghetto to a larger one. Because that's what they, you know, think go from a little ghetto to a, a smaller one. And then because it's, you know, because it's a thing of how many times have you heard, you know, I'm pretty sure you can see stories of black people being harassed by the police because the police don't think that they deserve to be in the place that they're at, that for some reason seeing this black person here is foreign to me. What are you doing in this neighborhood? What are you doing with this car? I live in this neighborhood. I bought this car. I deserve to be here. And there's just there's just many things that he said and that he gone through that we don't teach about in class. Um, where was this? Um, the beginning of the the speech. What is he saying? Because it's talking about the Emancipation Proclamation. He said it came as a joyous daybreak to end the long night of their captivity. But 100 years later, the Negro is still not free. 100 years later, the life of the Negro is still badly crippled by the manacles of segregation and the chains of discrimination. 
100 years later, the Negro lives on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. 100 years later, the Negro is still languished in the corners of American society and finds himself in exile in his own land. So we've come here today to dramatize this shameful condition. In a sense, we've come to cash our nation's we've come to our nation's capital to cash a check. When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, just black men as well as white men, will be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is obvious today that America has defaulted on its promissory note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. Instead of honoring this sacred obligation, America has given the Negro people a bad check, a check which has come back marked insufficient funds. But we refuse to believe that the bank of justice is bankrupt. We refuse to believe that there are insufficient funds in the great vault of opportunity of this nation. So we've come to cash this check, a check that will give us upon demand and reach us of freedom and security of justice. So, you know. And once again, that's not saying and there and and I want to clarify something. There are people who people like Candace Owens who will speak on oh black people were doing so much better, you know, a hundred years after slavery, they were doing so much better. And I listened to this football player and he was talking about um he's he's one of the black people that Fox grabs um, which my thing is, I don't have a problem with him playing football and speak on other things because I don't want to perpetuate the the argument that oh, just shut up and play. You know, when he doesn't agree with me, I would just it was just a thing that I would just to counteract his his thing. Um, if Dr. King, even like I said going to college at his his young age, doing the things that he did, was still able to acknowledge that racism exists and that, you know, and that people are held back by racism. He did not look at the success that he had and say that racism doesn't exist. He succeeded in spite of racism. And that's just us looking at it from now. Back then, he was highly unpopular. Except the FBI was illegally surveilling, you know, had him under surveillance. They wrote letters to him to get him to, you know, you know, they tried to blackmail him. There was so much that was done to him. And it's the thing of, you know, we succeed in spite of racism not because it doesn't exist. And 
I think that he he speaks on a lot of things um, that the the right wing of today. I me personally, I think if Dr. King were alive today, they would hate him because he would still be going for the things that he's always stood for. That at some point he would spoke out against some war. That you know he's. That it's it's the thing they do with everything in America. He's dead now, so let us let us change who he was to fit who who we want him to be. You know, I would say they're doing a disservice, but you know they don't care. Um, I think I've rambled enough because um, I don't want to get into the other thing about Dr. King. I want to talk about, but um, yeah. Uh, Thank you all for listening. Um, Please like, share, and subscribe. Leave a comment on Apple Podcasts. Um, Not just a comment, but rate your boy. Um, If you have the funds and the means, the same thing, uh, or so inclined to, um, you can help support me so that I can do more of these or have the... um, not motivation, I obviously have the motivation to have the means to, to do this more often. Um, you can also um, leave me a one minute uh, message on anchor.fm. Um, leave me a one minute message. Uh, I will receive that and either play it back on the show or just reply back to you directly. Um, I love getting comments back and conversations back this is the main reason why i do this um you can reach me on twitter bold expressions and bld expressions once again that's bold expressions and bld expressions you can hit me up on my gmail at uh, ctlgmail.com i thank you all uh have a good day good morning good evening whenever you listen to this And as always, don't be so busy proving your point that you forget your purpose.